our passage um, from James. And um, today is going to be especially important uh, that we listen carefully to the words that James chooses to use, that we think about what he means when he uses those words, and that we allow James to share with us what he wants to say, not what we want to hear. Now, initially, that's probably obvious, Right? Every time we open up the Bible or anytime we read any book of any kind or have any kind of communication with someone, don't we want to just listen to what the person says and take it for what they mean? Um, that's how it, communication should work, but if you've lived life more than a few years, you know it doesn't always work that way. Let me give you an example. If I were to ask you to define the word few, F-E-W. Define the word few. Some of you in this room, because you see the world in black and white, you would be like few equals three, right? A couple is two, few is three, and several is like four plus. Others of you in here would be like, who cares? A few is like more than one and less than a hundred, all right? We use words differently and the context in which we use a word changes things. Let me give you some more examples. Wives, if you were to walk into your living room this afternoon, let's just say for an example, for this hypothetical, your husband's sitting on the couch watching TV and you say, honey, <clears throat> I need you to come into the other room and help me with something. And he says, okay, I'll be there in a few. Okay, what you hear and what he intended to communicate might be very different things. You might go into the other room and start looking at your watch like, okay, he has 15 seconds left before he's now late and just shows that he doesn't care about me. And in his mind, when he said, yeah, I'll be there in a few, he meant at the end of this quarter or whenever the commercials come on, right? We, we sometimes mean different things. If after that conversation, and then let's say the wife is about to leave, and the husband says, where, where are you going? And she says, I'm just running to the store real quick. And he's like, oh, what are you getting? And she says, just a few things, right? She might have a very different understanding of what a few things might mean than her husband. Um, I could use that same word, but mean it in different contexts, but depending on where I'm going. If I'm going to the grocery store, when I say a few things, I mean like the bare minimum. I'm gonna only buy what I have to have. But if I'm going to Home Depot, a few might mean something else, right? Sometimes we use words in different ways or we might change the nuances of what we mean when we say it or the circumstances will dictate how we understand them. Um, the Irish playwright George Bernard, Bernard Shaw uh, once said, and you may have heard this quote, uh, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to listen carefully and we have to pay attention to the words someone says. 
and start asking questions about why they would use those words and the context in which they're sharing them. And so with that, we're going to open up to James chapter 2. Now, what I want to do is I I just want to read through the passage that we're going to cover today. I'm going to read through it in its entirety, and then we'll go back and sort of break it down uh, in smaller sections to really look at what James is trying to share with us. And so I'm going to start in James chapter 2, verse 14. And this is what he writes. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out on by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So what I'd love to do is just break that down into some smaller sections, be easier for us to grasp and really ask the question, what is it that James is trying to say to us today? And so we'll just go back to the beginning of this section that we just read. And so James is going to start by asking two rhetorical questions that he expects an obvious answer to from his audience. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So what answer is James expecting here? So this first one, what good is it, my brothers? The first answer he expects is, it's no good. It's no good to say you have faith, but to not have works. And then he asks a really big question that I think is tempting and easy for us to read and just move on. Can that faith save him? That's a serious question. One that demands some very serious thought and reflection. Can that faith save a person? One that has no works. And what James expects his readers to answer is no. We'll look at it. We'll, We'll see that as we continue. So let's look at the next couple of verses. James two fifteen through 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And so here James is just going to give us a case study to help us think through the implications of what he has just stated and these questions that he's just asked. We were thinking about it on a spiritual level, but now he's going to just bring it down to earth. If 
you know someone who's hungry and naked and you tell them, I wish you the best and I wish you a warm, uh, comfortable living and a full belly, but you don't do anything, your words don't matter. Because if you weren't willing to do something, it means that you didn't actually mean what you said. So he closes this case study with that same kind of question. What good is it? And then would expect us to respond by saying, it isn't any good. Then he says this, and this is really James, his answer to those first two questions. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And this is how he would answer that question. What good is it to have faith, to claim to have faith, to say you have faith, but not have works? Can that kind of faith save? And James would say, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. And a dead faith does not save. Keep going. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So now, as just like he asked some rhetorical questions to engage his audience, now he's sort of putting words into someone, some hypothetical person's mouth that may want to respond to some of these things that Paul is saying. And Paul responds, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so what Paul, excuse me, what James says here is that there are two ways that you can sort of reveal your faith by what you say and by what you do. Those are the two ways that you can put on display what kind of faith you have in your life. And so in case any of us may be deceived in thinking that these are two equally valid ways of displaying faith with what we say or with what we do, James is going to give us another example to show us how that works. So he adds, verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You think the demons and the demonic forces that we see in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, you think they believe Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, they cried out that he was the son of the Most High when they saw him. They, they were in fear when Jesus showed up on the scene. Do you think that they, they believe he was raised from the dead? They were there to watch it happen. You think they believe that he has the power over all of creation? They've personally experienced it think that they know that he has power not only over the things that we see, but the things that we don't see? Of course they do. So if they believe those things, why aren't they saved? Well, it's because, according to James, they don't have saving faith. They don't have the kind of faith that actually works its way out into their actions. And so just to help us process through what James is really wanting to communicate to us, he's going to give us another example. 
So he just moves from example to example to example to prove his point. And now we start in verse 20, where he's going to make another case. And then we've kind of moved quickly to this point. And then at this point, we'll slow down a little bit because I think there are some questions worth being asked. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? James is real patient, if you can tell. That faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you're rather new um, to following Jesus, maybe you're new to reading the Bible, this might not stand out as a bit odd to you. But some of you who have been reading the Bible for many years, maybe you were raised in church or are actively engaged for your, in your faith, look at that last sentence there. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And you go, that doesn't quite sound right, James. I don't feel like that's what I've been taught. I, I don't feel like when we talk about the gospel that that's what kind of wording we use. And so here's what's worth doing is taking a minute to think about what James is trying to communicate and how that relates to other things that we are taught in the New Testament. Specifically, a lot of the teachings of Paul. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, I'm going to go through a handful of passages out of the New Testament, mostly from Paul. We're going to read through them. Won't stop and talk about them too much. But that just set a tone um, that I think many of us are more familiar with. Talk about how what Paul teaches and what James teaches are not in conflict, but are actually working together. So look at this. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, this coming from Paul. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Romans 3, 21 through 28. Now this is a little bit of a larger one. Um, so just hang on. And then once we read through some of these big passages, we'll, we'll talk about it. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I'm talking about essentially the Old Testament. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. <clears throat> For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now on face value, that seems pretty opposite of what James has just told us. Let's look at one more in Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Oh, so now Paul is going to use the same example that James used. They're both going to make their cases by looking back at Abraham. So this will be insightful. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I don't know if you caught that, but Paul and James have now just quoted the same passage of scripture from the Old Testament. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we have something to wrestle through here. So what is it? Are we justified by faith or are we justified by works? Because on the surface, it seems that Paul and James are in a little bit of a disagreement here. Now, the core of what we teach and what we believe that has its roots not only in the New Testament, but especially in the Protestant Reformation, is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. So what is going on here? Well, I'm going to give you a handful of reasons, and I'm going to show you in the text why actually Paul and James are saying the exact same thing. Well, no, let me take that back. Paul and James are in total agreement and harmony. But they're just trying to do different things. So let's go back to James a little bit. The reason why Paul and James are actually complementing one another and not in contradiction is because the first thing is that James says that our works show or reveal our faith. Our works do not produce it. So James is saying that our works reveal our faith, not create or produce it. Another point is because Paul and James are trying to answer two very different questions. James wants us to know and wants to get us to think about this question that he asked. Is it any good to say you have faith but have no works? I don't know if, you were, if you've been a part of our James study for the last five weeks, but one of the things that we've already observed about James, in contrast to Paul, is that James does not expound on what the gospel is because uh, in like wanting to teach us the finer details of the gospel, he assumes we already know what the gospel is 
And he wants to show us how that works out in our lives. Whereas for Paul, oftentimes what he wants to do is explain to us what the gospel is. And so James is trying to answer this question. Is it any good to say with your mouth you have faith, but not have any works to show it? And then he asks this other question. Can a faith without works actually save someone? That's what James is trying to answer. Paul is answering a different question. I don't know if you've caught it out of both Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 that we read out of. Paul's trying to answer this question. How can a sinful human being stand in the presence of a holy God and not be annihilated by his glory? How is it possible that we as sinful people, and part of the passage we read out of there was Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How can we as sinful people ever be able to stand before a holy God? That's the question Paul is trying to answer. And then we look at how both Paul and James use the story of Abraham and quote from the same verse out of the Old Testament to prove their point. If James were trying to suggest that works create faith or that works are necessary for salvation, then his own Old Testament quote contradicts the point that he would be trying to make. Because the quote out of Genesis 15 here says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if James is trying to make the point that works is what creates faith or that works precedes faith or that work is necessary for salvation, then his, old, his own Old Testament quote doesn't work. But actually, what James is trying to do is something else. Because in addition to telling us that Abraham believed, he then tells us in verse 21, about when he was obedient to that faith, when he offered up his son Isaac. So he quotes Genesis 15, but this example he uses is from Genesis 22, decades later in Abraham's life, which just serves to prove James' point. Abraham had saving faith, and we know it because what he did years later proved it. And then here's, I think, one of the biggest reasons and examples of why Paul and James are not contradicting each other. It's because we have to be very careful about assuming that they use the same word in the same, mean, in the same way. Just how you can use the word or something like few, and in one setting can use it to mean some one thing, but something different in another setting, or you could use it for yourself in one way and expect someone else to use it in a different way. Here, Paul and James use justify in two different senses. There are two meanings to the word justify. In the first instance, to be justified literally means to be declared innocent. It's a legal term that means to be declared innocent or to be declared 
righteous. But in another sense, the same word can be used to affirm or to vindicate or to prove something to be correct. For example, if I told you that I can dunk a basketball, how many of you would believe me? Okay, a couple of you. Apparently, I look more athletic than I am. Um, If I told you I could run a mile in less than four minutes, if I told you that, your response would be, prove it, right? No way. You wouldn't believe it unless I did it, which I can't. But, right, you would expect me to provide evidence to prove what I claim to be true because that's a pretty bold claim. And we can use justify in the same way. Like if you made a claim that you could run a mile in four minutes, or if you just made some truth claim, I could say, you're gonna have to justify what you just said. You're gonna have to vindicate or prove or support what you just claimed to be true. Paul and James do not use justify in the same way. Paul uses justify in the legal sense. We are justified by faith in that we are declared innocent. We are declared righteous by faith. Sinful people can stand before a holy God not because of what we do, but because of faith. That's why Paul keeps telling us That's why none of us have an excuse to boast. None of us earned our position before God. We're all equally sinful and equally deserving of punishment. James, on the other hand, uses the different definition of justify. That our works, our actions, justify what we claim to be true. They prove that our faith that we claim to have is actually true saving faith. Jesus uses the term justify like this at one point. Look at Luke 7. Now let me give you background context to what's going on. Um, Some people were basically putting down John the Baptist and Jesus. They were writing them off and Jesus calls them out for their hypocrisy. So he says, look, John, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he is a demon. The son of man, referring to himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So they're like, oh, John doesn't drink wine, and now he's a prude who's demonic, but Jesus does drink wine, and so now he's a drunkard. And obviously, they don't don't actually care what they're trying to prove. They just are trying to really, for them, justify their actions. And here's what Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He says at the end of the day, we'll find out who's right and wrong by the fruit that's produced. At the end of the day, who has real wisdom will be revealed by what takes place. That she'll be justified by all her children. That what she produces, this wisdom, will show us who's really right and wrong. So this, this is how Jesus uses it, at least in this instance, to say justification 
can be talking about our legal standing before God, but it can also talk about how we vindicate or prove or support our faith. And then this is how James closes uh, this section, which um, really just one more example to serve the point. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Saying wasn't her faith in Yahweh in the Old Testament, wasn't it revealed by how she acted? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James is very clear that those who are genuinely saved, their lives will be marked because of it. A genuine Christian will be marked in certain ways. And those marks are identifiable in actions. If there are no actions, James says there is not saving faith. This should cause all of us a moment of real and honest examination of our lives. It'd be easy to read this and just move on and assume he's talking about someone else. This should cause all of us to stop and look at our lives for the confirmation that we have saving faith in Jesus, not just faith that agrees to certain historical facts. James would say the, the demonic forces agree with those same historical facts. They were there to witness them. But that there our faith is truly saving faith. So what are these marks? I mean, that's a valid question. Well, there's a lot of them, and more than we would ever have time to go through and examine them all today. The New Testament is full of examples of what a life transformed by the gospel looks like. It's full of examples of what when we are justified by faith, meaning we have a new standing with God because of faith, or what kind of works would then justify or vindicate that kind of faith. James has given us a few examples that we've already read about. <clears throat> One, as we read in chapter one, they're, they're steadfast in trials. They don't go in whatever direction the wind of culture is blowing. They stay steadfast in their faith. Another work that would justify or vindicate our faith, as we read a couple weeks ago, they read God's word and it changes how they live. The word of God is a transformation agent in their lives. Like Dustin talked about last week, those with genuine saving faith don't discriminate. Instead, they show mercy to others. Because as we talked about last week, those who have received God's love and grace and mercy extend it to others. If you know how much, how undeserving you are and how much you've been loved and saved, then you'll extend that grace and mercy to others. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me close by uh, making you feel guilty. <laughs> Glad you were happy about that. <laughs> There's a lot of ways in which we can, say, we can show that what we claim matters actually matters because we do something about it. There's a number of ways in which you could utilize your gifts and time and talent to serve <clears throat> in this church and in this community. Uh, Dustin mentioned one example earlier. Um, 
that we need more individuals to step up to the plate when it comes to kids' ministry, that we claim that children are valued and matter, and that we want to see them loved and cared for and discipled uh, in a way that's relevant to them. Um, and so we need people who will say, hey, I claim to, to believe that's important, so I'll show you that it's important with my actions. In our staff meeting this week, we were talking about student ministry and how there's a need for female leaders <clears throat> in the student ministry who would pour into and care for uh, our teenage girls. We have a care and connection team uh, that does everything they can to love and serve us so that we have a comfortable and great environment. They show up early and make coffee and they bring incredible food. And there are people who are scheduled to meet and greet us at the door so that everyone who walks in gets to see a smiling face and a warm handshake. Unless you're sick and then I won't shake your hand. Those are just a few examples of things that we claim to care about. Care about hospitality. To care about uh, little ones. And we have an opportunity as a church to show that we don't just say we care. We care. And in the connection card in the Bible app, if you used that QR code earlier, uh, you can fill out the connection card and let us know that you're interested in serving in one of those ways. Or you can use the service board in the back to sign up and just say, just say, uh, I'll help. I want to be a part of what we're doing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, <clears throat> our time together this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you that you let my voice make it through to this. And um, Lord, sometimes we read passages of Scripture and it just brings such joy and comfort to us. And then there are other times we read passages of Scripture and it's uncomfortable. And um, Lord, sometimes I think the greatest way you can pour out your grace on us is to make us uncomfortable. Because there's something that you want to do in our hearts and through our lives. And so Lord, we gave a few examples. Um, Lord, would you put it on our hearts right now to show us the areas of our lives where we claim one thing, but maybe our actions don't support it. And that we would be moved to action. It may be that we claim we love the lost, but we've never walked across the street to share the truth of your gospel with our neighbor. It could be that we claim that we believe that it's important to love our neighbor as ourself, but uh, we treat the people who live in our own house pretty poorly. Lord, would you just confront us right now? <clears throat> I'm going to ask all of you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Here's what I want to say to those of you who, um, who genuinely believe in the gospel, that you've been justified by faith alone, that your standing before God has been changed. You've been declared innocent and righteous because of what Christ has done for you. James' message to you today would be show that that's true in how you live your life. But there may be some in here who've never come to the place of believing in Jesus, of confessing with their mouth and believing in their heart. And I just want to say to you, what God is asking of you is, to, is not 
He's not asking of you a religious to-do list. He's not asking you to do a bunch of works to earn his love, to earn his grace. He offers it freely to us. We don't earn his love. We don't earn our salvation through works. Works are not a means by which we gain a relationship with Jesus. Works are a result that flows out of a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you this morning, what God wants is your heart. And he wants your devotion. And so in this moment, would you give it to him? Would you say, Jesus, I'm all in and I'll follow you. Lord, would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you this morning, whether it's through prayer or standing and singing or taking of communion in the back, would you be honored and glorified this morning? We love you. Praise in your name.